This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi. Hi, Mom. How are you? Hi. Great. We got some great guests on today, Heidi, don't we? We absolutely do, and we are going to talk about a, a topic that I think is really important right now in this country, and it's reducing mental health stigma. And we've got yeah. two people that I've just recently met at some regional Compassionate Friends conferences, and you've met them too, Mom. They're Lee and Lori Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And I'll, do you want me to introduce them and tell you a little bit about them? Sure. Why don't you do that, Hyde? Okay. So Lee and Lori Maxwell, they lost their beloved 18-year-old son, Dan, to suicide after 18 months of severe depression and unsuccessful attempts at treatment. Devastated and grief-stricken, they founded DMAX Foundation to eliminate stigma and encourage safe and caring conversations about mental and emotional issues. DMAX clubs are on college campuses, and they are creating them, and they are for all students because mental health is everyone's concern. And we're happy to have them today on the show. Welcome, Lee and Lori. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Gloria. Hi. It's so great to have you on, uh, Lee and Lori, and and the work you've been doing in the name of your son, Dan, is amazing. Can you tell our audience a little bit about Dan first and what happened to him? I'm sorry. Tell about... Dan. Dan, okay. Um, Dan was um, he's a, was an amazing young man, um, smart boy. He was a National Honor Society student. He was a, loved sports. He was a three-sport athlete. He played lacrosse, football and um, basketball, and he got depressed in his junior year, Um, and it it didn't start out to be so bad, and he had treatment, he had saw a therapist, then he asked if he could have some medication, he tried, tried antidepressants, and he didn't feel any better, and in fact got worse, um... We always have questions about what happened, and we actually have one question about whether or not the medicine actually might have made or helped get him, help him become suicidal. Um, and he started having suicidal thoughts in, I guess, the end toward the end of his junior year. And he had a really hard time with school. Uh, he over the summer, he had a really hard time, and then in the fall, he started isolating himself from his friends. And he, tr- Dan tried everything. I mean, he was on the Internet every night trying to find out what could help him feel better. And he tried diet. He tried herbs. He tried exercise, therapy. He would ask his doctor for different kinds of medicine, and, well, nothing worked. That's it's amazing, Lori. I'm going to say he he sounds a lot like my brother as far as being a three star athlete. My brother was also. A, I mean, here's this kid. He's varsity, you know, varsity athlete, top of his game. He exercises a lot. He's in great health. He's getting incredible grades. He's in the National Honor Society, and yet this the whole mental illness has taken a grip on him and a hold on him. And there's nothing he can do. I mean, it must have been so devastating for him and for your family to try to figure out what is going on here. 
It was. I mean, it was a 24-7 situation for all of us mm-hmm. because, you know, we were just constantly trying to help him and find out what was going on and what could help make it better. It was... It was... Yeah. You know, I always I always think of guys trying to fix things, Lee, and and you must have thought, how can I fix it? Well, I did, and Dan did. I guess it's a male thing. Um, and yeah, I wanted to just sort of interject along the same lines. Uh, Dan was such a competitor um, that the fact that with all his competitiveness, all his drive to overcome this blackness, this unbelievable darkness. He still could not manage it. It, I think, is an unbelievable testament to how deep-rooted and how pervasive and difficult to overcome um, this condition can be, that even someone so driven to overcome it could not do it. I just, I mean, in some ways, um, to me, my son is a model of incredible strength, despite the fact that in the end, he gave into it, but the fact that he struggled so mightily and as with every resource he could possibly muster just makes me uh, be in awe in a, in a way as well as be incredibly sad and angry. Well, and Lee, and just, it just reiterates the fact that, you know, depression, clinical depression has a major, major biological component here. It's genetic, I mean, it's got, there was something going on in his system and no matter what he did, he couldn't combat that. He used to say that he felt like an alien on the earth, and he Mm -hmm. felt that he was the only one on earth that felt exactly the way he did. I mean, he felt that isolating, isolating issue. It's an issue that um, Laurie and I both had a hard time really understanding, and we would have these dialogues, and he would say, you just don't understand, you just Mm -hmm. don't understand. And we tried desperately for, you know, 18 months to, to understand better, and it was very difficult. You know, I just heard an uh, interview with Amy Schumer. She's just written a book, and it reminded me so much of Dan. She, from that age, she went into that deep depression and uh, was given a lot of medication and struggled, and she still, to this day, uh, sometimes has to watch herself with the depression. And I know Winston Churchill called it the black dog. He suffered from depression at times, so I just don't think we understand a lot about it. Well, I want to congratulate you, too, on the work you've been doing in his name. And I understand you they called him D-Max. Is that why you named your foundation D-Max? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I love that. That makes sense. Dan, D his, for Dan. Uh, no, that was his name in, in sports. They called him D-Max, and sometimes they called him Jumpman because he, you know, <laughs> basketball. I love that. That's that great. So sweet. Well, he was uh, graduating from high school, right? And was he uh, looking at colleges and going through all that agony of trying to figure that out? He was, but it was just really difficult. He he was really so depressed that when we would take him to college, he it didn't it didn't take. And he we decided finally, you know, he he got into he did apply and he got into many schools, um, got scholarships. Um, Academic scholarship, wow. um, but he and we decided that we had to keep him nearby, so he was going to go to a school nearby, mm-hmm. and um, we also had the option of having him do a gap year. What was it called, Lee? 
Uh, it's the equivalent now of what used to be called VISTA, but it's uh, sponsored by the uh, the government, the United States government, and uh, it's in five different places in the country. It allows kids right after their high school to take a gap year and mm-hmm. be productive people and help out, like some people in the program um, helped after Katrina or uh, Hurricane uh, Sandy. Wow, that's great. But, well, but, sounds- but he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. he, he really he got just so bad that he really couldn't function. He couldn't do anything. The clinical depression just took a, a hold on him, it sounds like, yes. and overtook his life. Right. We didn't know this, but uh, evidently he would often cry himself to sleep. Uh, uh, it's such a horrible thing when, he, when we realized that at the very end. We found out later that he had written some journals, and that was one of the things he said, cried himself to sleep. Well, well, and I think that all of you are, are making a really good point here. Unless you've walked in those shoes... It's really hard to understand completely what's going on with people when they when they get have clinical depression at this level, and if it could just be thinking positive thoughts or working out, he'd he'd still be here. It's not that easy. There's something else going on, and there's a lot I think that we still don't understand about depression. I totally agree. I mean, we like Laurie said, we uh, Dan tried several different kinds of antidepressants, n- none of which really worked. Um, but there were others, I guess, that could have been tried, and either, and also other diagnoses. I mean, um, we've learned a little bit more since he took his life about the differences and the similarities between depression and bipolar and how the two can be confused. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's an open question whether maybe his issue might have been bipolar with only, you know, the, the depressive part of it manifesting at this point. Um, and um, if that were the case, then the medicines that had been targeting depression were the exact wrong ones, and it should have been a different regime. And so it's really, really tricky. You know, you were, you mentioned anger, Lee, and I know uh, a lot of men that I've met, compassionate friends, uh, seem to have a certain amount of anger, and some women. But what what are you angry with, and and what uh, kinds of things would you like to see changed? <laughs> the personal side of the anger um, is twofold. One of one of them is that I am so incredibly angry that my son had to suffer the way he suffered, some of which I knew and some of which I didn't know until after he had taken his life. I'm just, it just, it's like one of these huge injustices that's been visited on my son and just makes me so angry and I don't know where to take that anger. And the other anger is I am angry that I no longer have for the rest of my life my son who, you know, Normally, everyone feels that they're going to have their kids forever, and mm-hmm. you know they'll die first, and their kids will be there, you know, at their bedside, and and I will not be able to do all the fun things that dads and sons do together. It's just devastating, and it just it makes me so so angry. Wow, that is that is well expressed, and I appreciate that because I know a lot of people listening to us are feeling the same way, and and to know that other people are feeling that way, I think it is an important thing, and I think that's some of the things you're trying to do at the Dmax clubs, right? Is have kids get together who are feeling depressed or angry or upset. Well, uh, actually, and talk about the clubs as, you know, as we said, and you said, Dmax clubs are for all students, mm-hmm. so. The DMAX clubs at college campuses, and we decided to start on college campuses because we thought it would, would take more easily than high school, um, is conversations that matter. And so we kids get together and talk about how they're doing, how their friends are doing, and how they can help each other. And they get together for 
you know, talking. They could get together for a pancake breakfast just to be together because they know that it's okay for them to be themselves and they don't have to hide how they're doing. But it's not for kids who necess- who only, you know, it's not only for kids who are feeling depressed, for example. It's for anyone because we all, as we say, we all fall along the mental health continuum at different places and at different times in our lives. So I might be feeling depressed or anxious one day and my friend might be feeling that way another day. So it's for, for friends helping friends and it's for students to get together and be who they are and not feel like they have to hide because uh, I think it's something like 75% of students um, or 84% of college students feel like they can't um, express how they really are doing and it's and college is so difficult and so stressful. I love this idea, Lori, and I agree with you. I, I love that it's open to everybody because we all wear our mask and we all put on our game face and we, we really do not know what's going on. And like you said, we all fall along that mental health continuum. We all have bad moments and bad days and, and feel isolated. And getting support is the way that we can heal. Coming together as a community and getting support is so key, especially in college when you are disconnected from your family oftentimes. So I love that you guys are doing this. Right. I think that's a great a great thought. Um, and, and I'll add this, that um, the idea of stigma is right at the centerpiece of what DMX clubs are aiming to uh, remove. If you, if you think of a, a barrier that's I, that I think is out there, and it's with parents, I mean, Lori and I experienced it, and obviously Dan did as well, a barrier between those people who think they're normal and may be normal, quote-unquote, and other folks who, you know, have some issues, some challenges and whatever, there is a rigid barrier out there. And what we're trying to do is make it a permeable barrier and maybe even destroy the barrier so that both groups become one big group. I mean, we're all humans. We all deal with issues, and there shouldn't be this barrier. It's like if someone, you know, has high cholesterol, and maybe they take meds or they have an exercise regimen that combats it. Others, you know, that don't have high cholesterol don't ostracize the person, don't say, well, that person is a them. They're not in my group because they have high cholesterol. Well, we want the same kind of acceptance to happen with people who have, you know, a mental health challenge. You know, and these challenges, we understand, sometimes come and go away in a person's life. So, you know, why why should a person be ostracized for the couple of years they're, they're dealing with it when in five years they're going to be perfectly quote-unquote normal? You know, it's just not fair. It's not right. Now, where are your clubs existing right now? Well, we had our first club uh, just get, get preliminary developmental approval at Elon University in North Carolina. And um, so that means that the students can start getting together and meeting and they can start recruiting members. It takes a long time and it's very complicated for students to start clubs, any clubs on a college campus. So they have to go through all these hoops. So it's taken a while and it finally happened and that's our first one. We have students... We have students. What at university is it? Can you say that? Can you spell it? I wasn't yes. sure. I heard Elon. It right. E L O N. E L O N. Okay, just in case there's somebody there who's around that university. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we have uh, the other ones are, I believe, all in Pennsylvania. That we have students in in several schools that are starting clubs that have not been approved. 
Um, I can, you know, we have, I can tell you who the students, you know, where the students are, but, you know, we don't know. For Why don't you give us your website okay. so that people will be able to go and contact you there? Okay, that's great. Uh, it's www.dmaxfoundation.org, and DMAX is spelled D-M-A-X after Dan Maxwell. And so it's www.dmaxfoundation.org. And uh, it talks about the clubs. We'd love to have, you know, anyone who's interested in being part of a club or starting a club contact us. We also have a Facebook page. Oh, good. Give us that. Yeah. This. That's DMAX Foundation. And it's two, okay. two words, DMAX Foundation. DMAX Foundation. Now, we met you at the Compassionate Friends. Could you talk a little bit? Has that been supportive of you uh, to go to the Compassionate Friends? Well, and what I have went other by things myself have you done? the first year, and I found it so incredible. Um, and I had I had wished that my daughter and my husband had come, but they um, we decided that they wouldn't for the first year. And then after my experience, we I, that we all went to um, the next. We went to the next one, which was in um, Dallas. Dallas, and. I think it was, it, again, it was amazing. Uh, I've made some friends that, you know, one in Indiana, one in California. So I, and you guys, <laughs> we've met people that it's just nice to know that we can talk and we understand each other and we can help each other. That's an amazing And, Lee, how about for you? Because sometimes there's not a lot of support for guys. Uh, it was it was good for me. I can remember um, in Dallas, uh, and I, I guess I'm a typical guy in that sense. And tears don't come as easily, maybe as they do to some women. And I sat in some of those sessions, and tears flowed down my cheeks. I just, and I I think some people noticed, and they were so respectful. It's like this is something that does happen. It's accepted. It's wonderful. It's cathartic. Um, so we're planning to go again to Scottsdale, actually, next year. Great. And, and Heidi, you want to ask him about Samantha and the teen thing? Uh, yes, you, I know that she also uh, went to the Compassionate Friends and, and made some friends there. Anna, yeah. She did go, and we were very glad that she came. I'm so glad. Any advice out there for parents that can't get their kids to go to these things? Well, we told her that she had to come. Oh, that's that's a good way to do it, <laughs> Lori. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> I mean, the first year we we didn't, yeah, you know, but the second year we did, and we we actually she, she decided she didn't want to go to the one um, the regional conference that we went to actually nearby, mm-hmm. and we said okay, uh, but um, if we go far away, we're going to make sure she comes with us. Yeah. Well, the National has such a wonderful uh, sibling program on uh, Facebook, right, Heidi, to the Sons of Siblings? It does. The National, as Samantha, your daughter knows, they have a lot more siblings than the regionals. And I always say to parents, if you can just get your children, go up to the sibling, go up to Tracy Milne or me or one of the siblings that are there, the older siblings, and have them take your children and introduce them. Because once they get friends... Then they want to go. And it's not all, you know, with the sibling program, it's not all about talking about our losses and grieving our losses publicly. It's just about being in a room with other people that have had the deaths of brothers and sisters. And we have a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun that goes on for the siblings during these conferences. I wish that there were more teenagers there. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that would make it even better for any teenager that goes if, if parents could bring their teenagers 
I, I agree with you, Lori. And, and getting the teens there is so key. And sometimes they go and they stay in their rooms. But like I said, once they connect and get friendships, they want to keep going back. It's, a, it's an exciting adventure, too. I mean, you're in a hotel, you know, as a teenager, and you kind of have the run of the place. And when we were there, there was one other group that was meeting, which was, they were the gamers, so the mm-hmm. two very different kinds of um, groups. But you wandered around the hotel, and you just felt that it was, it was I guess it's like an ideal version of, on a bigger scale of a DMAX club where there's just everyone that's in sympathy with you, know, no matter where you turned, there was someone that, you know, understood where you were, where you'd been, and maybe could help you get to some better places. You know, before we close the show, I wanted to say, give a shout out to you too, because uh, it's not easy when you've had a child die by suicide. As you know, um, some people don't want to talk about it. They keep it a secret. Uh, you've been out there. You know, you've talked to people. You've. Uh, I think it's incredible that you've been able to, willing to share your story with Dan and Dan with the world because he's going to help a lot of people. Thank you, Gloria. Can I add something? Yes, of course. Um, I want to say that when people talk about suicide, I always hear the words committed suicide. Mm-hmm. I read it. I see it. Um, People use those words all the time, and every time I hear it, it tears at my heart because Dan did not commit Mm -hmm. anything. He took his life because he was in pain, and when people say commit suicide, it is, you know, it's as if they're saying he committed a crime, and it's just not that way. That is not why people take their lives. Well, Lori, I love that you're building awareness, and I love that you're saying that. I think it is so important. You and Lee are out there you know, educating the world and doing it in honor of your amazing child and breaking the stigma, et cetera, because there's so many people in the world right now that are struggling. They're struggling with depression. They're struggling with bipolar. They're struggling with everyday issues. Life is difficult. And, you know, you're starting this foundation. You're, you're saving lives. You're giving people a place to go and be in community and get support from others. And I want to thank you for that. And I feel like Dan is doing as much in his death as he did in his life to change the world because he was a remarkable kid. Yes, he was. And thank you so much, Gloria and Heidi, for allowing us on the program. Oh, thank you so much. And one thing, Heidi, and I always want to say to everyone who's listening who's had a child die or another family member that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours and, and hope like the Maxwell family. And uh, stay tuned and listen to our show again next week. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.